Welcome to the Learning and Development Podcast. I'm David James from Loop, and each episode I chat with guests about what lights them up in the world of people development. This week, I'm speaking with Jilly Julian, who is Senior L&D Business Partner at Horridge Farrelly, who is implementing a very different post-lockdown people development strategy. But before we get into it, if you're enjoying this podcast, please do give us a five-star rating on your podcast app of choice to help others find us. And thank you if you've already done so. Now, let's get into it. Jilly, welcome to the Learning and Development Podcast. Hey, David. Nice to be here. Thank you. Um, now, Jilly, first of all, how are you and how have things been changing for you over the, the last few weeks with, what, COVID and lockdown and like? Oh, well, first of all, thank you for asking. Um, it's really nice when people actually ask how you are at the minute. Hmm. Um, it's, I'm good and, and we're good and... Um, kind of when we're thinking about that now that includes me includes colleagues the team at work includes the family because it's all like one big homogenous group now and um i think that's really the nub of what's changed over the last over the last four months i guess um it's the lines are blurred quite significantly um everybody acknowledging has different circumstances of this for me it's been intense Mm. really intense um because everything has amped up um so from a professional perspective things have become more intense as the need to provide additional support and kind of really tactical responsive um useful support um but also with homeschooling Mm. with trying to nurture small kids through a really weird period in their lives. Um, it's been intense um, mm. and I'm very much looking forward to a holiday, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> no, I, uh, I, I, I agree with you there. I heard a lovely phrase um, when, when we read all the time that everybody's working from home. I heard someone challenge that and say, no, we're living at work. And you know, you go, oh my goodness. It really, I mean, I mean, whether it's factually true or not, I think that there is something to it that it's a different dynamic to the, um, I don't know, the, the relaxation and the different dynamic of what working from home means. It was something you look forward to. Yeah. And now it is like this constant hamster wheel in which you have to use, you have to be disciplined in order not to, to overdo too much of one thing. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's a really crucial kind of differentiation here is that nobody is working from home because they are enabled to work from home. Mm. They're working from home because there's no option. And um, regardless of whether it fully works or not, that's what we're doing. Um, And I, I saw something similar and it was, we're not working from home. We're working in the middle of a global pandemic. Yeah, <laughs> let's be real. Yeah, very different. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, in, in light of all that, um, Jilly, how has the current situation and how it's evolved impacted on your people strategy at Horwich Farrelly? It's been huge, um, and not least because you know the word transformation gets banded around way too much, especially mm. on LinkedIn. Um, <laughs> but the the transformational impact of everything that's been happening is massive. And, you know, I've described this previously as kind of being an organisation that was about to pilot um, some fairly small scale flexible working in one part of the firm um, and was looking at ways that we could reduce the amount of paper, etc. 
um, and moved to a paper light way of working. We're now almost completely remote and paperless overnight. Mm. Um, and when you look at the degree of change that that means for the firm in terms of um, processes, the, the way that we operate, our operational model has changed completely. Mm. Um, and do you know what? High five to us, pat on the back. It's kept, it's kept things going. Um, mm -hmm. It's, you know, I think we'll look back on this as being a, a success story. Um, but what it means is we're essentially looking at a completely different business. So there has been a really pragmatic moment of, okay, we understand now that the long-term view of this will be very different to the structure of the business that we've been working with in the past. Mm. We need to revisit our people development strategy completely and say, okay, for the shape of the business that we now have and for what we can anticipate about the coming two, three, five years, we know that's going to be different. So we can't just lean on the kinds of principles that sat behind previous iterations of a people development strategy. We've got to build now for the business that will exist for the for the foreseeable future um, and for the way that that will work and acknowledge that that is a change and that is a difference yeah. otherwise we just kind of risk potentially going back to some of the not the bad old days but you know the the practices and, and the ways of working and the mindsets mm. that albeit only a short time ago were the, the prevailing way of doing things but that now are kind of out of date. Um, I don't yeah. want to say irrelevant because it's important legacy to, to kind of, it, it's important to build on that. Um, but we don't just want to automatically default back to 2019's ways of, of doing things. Hmm. It kind of feels I like going back to 1919's way of doing things at the moment because things are so fundamentally different. Yeah. I, I, and in so different ways, it really isn't just about um, the location in which you work. Uh, fundamentally, expectations have changed um, as well as people's values and drivers and, and, and all sorts within that. But you can imagine that if this hadn't have hit, then we know what people's strategy is about. It is about... Um, uh, f making sure that we're facing in uh, in a in a forward direction. The people strategy speaks pretty much to the HRD uh, or the CEO, and it shows how things can be better than they are today. And it, so, so it's a build, really, acknowledging everything that had, had, had happened before. I take it that from what you just said, <laughs> this this isn't the case for uh, for for what, what you've been developing. No, it's it's not. And um, I have I have to. So I freely admit that in, in previous lives, when getting involved in um, kind of development of people development strategies, there's an element of creating them that, to, to your point there, is perhaps about what will appeal to the HRD at the time or what mm. will appear to the, appeal to the exec at the time. Um, in kind of recreating a people development strategy recently, um, my my go-to thinking has has been really purist um and you know all the stuff that we see kind of people waxing lyrical about on linkedin and twitter about the best practice way of doing this stuff i think is more critical now than ever to come back to what are the key drivers in your business what are the mm. things that will support the 
survival at worst, growth at best of your business. Yeah. And kind of using those as the key tenets to then build the strategy from. So regardless of what somebody thinks is sexy at any given moment in time, regardless of whatever the current um, kind of popular viewpoint is amongst the L&D community at the time, all of that has to be kind of disregarded. It has to be about what is the, what's the stuff that is going to make the difference in terms of the businesses, like I say, either survival or growth, you know, Mm. I ideally, um, kind of what does the build look like now? Um, but to bring it back to that principle of the business measures, the business um, kind of requirement for success, that's the stuff that we need to overtly support. And mm. really, it, it's not just about kind of drawing the thread anymore. It's about being really obvious about the fact that developing our people is a really key building block within that um, kind of path to growth mm. for the business um and in the past i mean it, 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 <laughs> i was gonna say it wasn't that long ago uh, because of the lockdown and everything you're thinking it seems like decades ago um, the, the the one of the the real anxieties around uh, l and d was how do we align to the business i mean how ridiculous does that sound right now when yeah. as you're as you're describing that that everybody has to be Help first of all recognizing how the world and its cust- and your customers uh, have changed, uh, or, and and what what and what then requires adaptation on the part of the people. Uh, how does the organization adapt? How then do you prepare those people to do something different, either to achieve greater ends, or, or in in some cases when it's transformation, different ends? It is laser focused on mm-hmm. the. Um, the the key factors that are going to mean that the organization is successful or it is not and if l and d are then looking still at uh perhaps more philosophical approaches and look, I, what what i know that i'm not disregarding um uh purpose-driven leadership uh, for example but this is the stage where you go it You've got to take a look and you have to be really clear that your solution, which you are calling purpose-driven leadership, is solving the actual problems that your organization and its people are really facing. We can no longer take a buzzword or a, or a philosophy that is um, in vogue and fresh to the organization and then overlay that thinking it must make some difference. It's much more around understanding cause and effect to achieve results and is that is that kind of where you are yeah absolutely um in in my head it's almost about kind of bringing the commerciality that we're constantly encouraging um in the businesses and the organizations that we're working in and applying that to our own practice because Mm. you know i i can't honestly claim to be able to develop a people development strategy unless i've had and enough understanding to be able to kind of get my head around the commercial drivers for my firm Mm. or the commercial drivers for the clients that we work with. So, you know, looking at our market now and the potential for the future, then what's important there? What do we need to be developing within our people here to be able to kind of consider what will drive that value much further down the line? Because, like I said, in, in such in such turbulent times, then we've got to have that focus that that's kind of more than six months out. And it, it's it's partly why I really 
really hate that conversation about the new normal and that as a mm. phrase it, it's it feels very early to be saying things like that yeah and also, we've not landed yet this no. isn't normal <laughs> no 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 and you know realistically we have to be looking at months, years down the line. We do have to be genuinely strategic about what we're doing at the moment, yeah. um, as well as responding to the kind of immediate and tactical need. That's a given. Yeah. Um, but in, ter in terms of that strategy development, it has to consider what's happening in UK industry right now. You know, what are the likely legislative shifts that are going to have impact mm. for us further down the line? Um, and like I say, equally, and certainly in my case, it's about understanding what that looks like from a client perspective. Um, so yeah, it's, it's been, it's been a very different experience of developing, um, kind of the strategic outline for people development, um, mm. to anything that I've had before. There's no doubt about that. Well, you, you mentioned about, uh, uh about LinkedIn earlier and I said, uh, over the years I've seen there's a bone of contention in L and D that we can't be accountable for results. You know, that, that there is a reason why we, uh, measure engagement and attendance, completion, satisfaction and the like is because, um, we, do, do we, do we really, make ourselves a noose that you know for a noose for ourselves that that we we can't we can't possibly um uh, affect performance and results but i wonder whether in light of what you've just dis discussed here have you outlined what the measures of success would be um for uh, um for your team's involvement right full disclosure i'm very much in the camp that you know satisfaction ratings and attendance and you know training penetration by headcount uh, uh, mm. that does not work for me um no. if we're not in the business of supporting business performance directly then I, that's where i struggle to say so what mm. what is the value that we bring we have to co-opt the business measure of success as the measure of lnd success and i know yeah. that's not a new a new thought um where that where that plays in here really importantly comes back to kind of it, it's where you build that strategy from it's understanding mm. those drivers in the first place so i if, if i know that productivity for example is one of the real basics that is going to be important in sustaining the business and growing the business then i need to understand what that looks like in different parts of the firm and then that mm. needs to become a part of our um measure of success as a people development function to say, right, can we, can we draw the line? Can we actually say, right, by doing this, we can expect to see this difference. Yeah. So we can then track that back. And it's not particularly sexy, but it's really important. And that's, mm. that's what is important to the senior leadership team in the firm. It's what's important to teams of people who are also experiencing this very intense period and needing to be able to crack on with minimal distraction from their purpose. Um, and that's, that's just kind of the nub of it all, I guess. Yeah. I, 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 I always say that the, uh, the hardest part of, um, uh, of any initiative, if you're going to make a difference is knowing what to work on. I mean, if you, if you don't know what problem you're solving, then it really doesn't matter what you do. And I think that L&D for many years have got caught in a trap of thinking that our role is the delivery of programs and the provision of content. It's not. It is in help, and Kevin M. Yates said it brilliantly on the on a, a previous episode, said it's helping your organization to win 
whatever winning in your organization means. And that is it. And if you're not close enough to uh, critical points of failure in your organization or certainly inefficiencies uh, in uh, practice and the achievement of results, then it doesn't really matter what you do. And this is why I think that we're in this um, situation where expensive platforms and suites of content are bought that people don't really engage with. You kind of buy it, you just buy everything in, you think that there's got to be something in there for someone, and then we will track and uh, and uh, and encourage engagement because if we get people there, then they will learn. And then there's this false uh, equation that learning equals performance, where really the whole thing fails if you don't know what you're trying to affect. Which leads me on to the next question, because uh, I wonder, Jilly, what role is learning tech playing in the delivery of a strategy? Oh, God, it's it's like a keystone to the whole thing at the minute. Um, So again, you know, I think it's been fair to say that we've had to expedite our um, tech transformation um, Mm -hmm. at RH Farrelly, and that's what what's great is that actually a lot of the the planning the thinking the the map for it all was there mm. um it's had to be brought forward at pace because of these circumstances and you know i'm sure a lot of organizations have been in a similar position where thinking that's already happened has now just been really sped up um mm. and really brought to the fore um and the trick has been trying to do that in the right way at the right time mm-hmm. um now, in our case, what we've what we've needed to really bring forward is um, some externally sourced content, um, mm-hmm. and again, making sure that that is right for what's needed mm-hmm. right now in a way that's going to work for the people across our firm. Yeah, um, and also making sure that the way that people are able to engage with that is as easy and as quick as it possibly can be and you know we have we have a a a lot of kind of content development happening Mm in-house um we have some really kind of specific pieces that we need to have that internal expertise brought to bear on um which means that essentially we've we've been kind of in a position where We've needed to be able to do that in a very, very fleet of foot way to support the speed of tech transformation and and to support the immediacy of that um, performance support that we talked about a minute ago. Mm. Um, You know, gone are the days of being able to do something that, you know, yeah, we can probably land that in a month's time. So, well, Mm. God knows what the world's going to look like in a month's time. Um, And people have a barrier to being able to perform right now. So, it's all about that that pace and and um kind of being able to to get those barriers and points of friction kind of eased in in the most efficient way that we can and obviously when it comes to efficiency in that respect you know having the right platforms is massive hmm. and uh, and you you mentioned their performance support what what kind of stuff are you uh, um is is your uh, are your key formats um would you say um it really varies, David, to be honest. Yeah. It really varies. Um, we have a, a lot at the moment is about making sure that people have access to kind of um, the most engaging um, kind of broken down resources that we can. And I'm using the word resources deliberately because, you know, 
in, in terms of what kind of media and content is applicable, it's, mm. it varies wildly. Um, in some cases, because of the kinds of subjects that we're supporting people with. And in some cases, because the audience might vary, you know, there might be some stuff in there that actually we want to make available elsewhere. Um, so mm. we produce quite a bit of material that our clients can engage with to understand more fully the service that we provide. Um, and also, I think that that variety um, is in there because you know we do we do still have a range of um, technical kind of capabilities across the firm, and I mean mm. in a very literal sense of you know some people might not have audio enabled on their on their laptop yet. There might be people mm. who um, have different setups, different devices that we need to be able to accommodate a really varied estate. Um, so for very practical reasons, as well as the fact that, okay, we understand that that's ideal to give people a very, a very suite of options. Um, really tactically, we need to, mm. we need to kind of mix it up. Um, I wonder if you could uh, bring this to life for us and uh, give us an example of, uh, of how this works, um, perhaps with induction. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so again, like, like all of this, we, we had grand plans for how we were going to kind of change our induction back at, oh, January, the new year. Mm. Wow. Um, yeah, it was, uh, it was something that we were looking at there to really kind of reinvigorate the new starter experience to go from a really quite kind of, dare I say, old school way of inducting people into the business mm. um, to actually putting more focus on how we get people up to speed, quick, smart. Mm. And that's now obviously evolved into how we get people up to speed, quick, smart, remotely. Um, yeah. just to add in that extra, extra little layer of challenge. Um, and that's something that we've been able to, um, kind of really, really make significant changes with in a really positive way. And again, in line with what we'd always intended, what was, mm. what was in plan. Um, but because we've needed to be able to, you know, put the tech platforms in place to enable that kind of in the flow of work. Um, performance support mm -hmm. um, we've been able to make make the most of that to be able to give our new starters the what they need when they need it at that yeah. point in their kind of early days and weeks in the firm and actually use it to kind of loop back around with some iterative feedback how's it mm -hmm. going all of that um, which has been able to make it feel really nice and personal and so far we've had some really nice narrative happening around that Mm. And have you been using automated campaigns um, with with, uh, with that? To the extent that we can, yes. Um, yeah. I think because it's still quite an early journey for us, we're being a little bit cautious about mm. the level of automation just yet. Yeah. Um, but where we know we have kind of core content that's right for people, then yeah, absolutely. They, you know, the, the core of it is is there for people from day one. They're going to get these pieces pulsed out to them because that's what you need on day one. Yeah. Um, day three, once you've had a chance to get to grips with some bits, here's your next chunk. Um, mm. So that we're not overloading people and, yeah. you know, getting away from the bad old days of, you know, when somebody has a spare couple of hours because nobody's put anything in the diary yet. Um, oh, just read the internet, read these yeah. policies. Nobody wants to be doing that. No, not even the people who wrote the policies want to be doing that. No, no. Um, so yeah, it's about kind of making sure that that engaging new starter experience that's also kind of pragmatic mm. um, is there from the outset. And are you collecting um, user insights uh, along the way as well? Yes, we are. 
yeah, and that's a really big part of this. Um, and it's important as well because not only in terms of the data that we get back in, but in terms of new starters to the firm actually understanding that they have something to contribute here and, and that we're interested in their insight and um, that it's it's a dialogue. Um, mm. And it seems counterintuitive to have a kind of mostly automated kind of tech solution that becomes the mode of doing that. But mm. it doesn't necessarily translate as that from, from, a, from a user experience and actually creates this really nice kind of dialogue conversation loop that sets people up to... Mm. Um, continue to want to feed into making improvements in their early days which is really well, what, important i think one of the um uh the important changes in learning and development uh certainly that that that, that i've seen is that if you focus on performance and you invite insights based on what it is that people are trying to do and they're not able to do, they will tell you. Yeah. If you try to engage in dialogue about what people are trying to learn or what they're not able to learn, you don't get the same engagement because our language and expectation of learning isn't the same as the people we're seeking to influence because they are working yeah. and they are learning as they overcome challenges. So if we reframe that in um, support, first of all, understanding their challenges. Number two, seeking to uh, help them address those challenges. And then number three, engage them in a dialogue about those challenges. Yeah. They're in. I don't know if that's the experience you've had. We've had a lovely example just this week um, where it wasn't it wasn't in the new starter realm. It was it was something else that we've been um, that we've been putting out there that involved a kind of a, a shift in way of working, um, mm. and we actually via the kind of automated mechanisms we've got some feedback in about a particular resource relating to this difference in, in ways of working, um, and responded to it and started the started the conversation about it and actually I had had the comment back is that kind of wow I like I like to make sure that I always leave comments um I, I was actually being quite lighthearted about it and I just didn't expect that anybody was actually going to be picking up these comments <laughs> it's like so it's literally a feedback mechanism people can be so used to it being one way yeah it was like right now talk to us more about that help us to develop this what's your experience mm. of it what it's is been a bit of a kind of, oh, wasn't expecting it to go there. Yeah. Didn't see that coming. Funny. It's funny how a lot of enterprise social networks um, don't take off in organizations because of the funda uh, fundamental lack of trust. Because um, uh, a lot of big organizations um, operate from low trust, uh, but then they expect high trust from the employees. And because of that dynamic, it doesn't quite work. But again, you gain trust if you are seeking to understand and support people with what is they primarily care about. And as that example then shows that People will engage, but will also be surprised by uh, by what's been involved. It's a high trust exercise, but like focused on the most important things that people are there in the organisation to do. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, so going back to uh, to the induction example, how has this been received by new starters and by stakeholders who I'm, I'm sure would have had different expectations uh, about what induction would look like? Yeah, and um, it, it's a big. It's a big shift in some respects because, um, you know, in days gone by, induction would have been something kind of wholly owned by the L&D department um, mm. and to the point where we'd, we'd literally kind of have people for the first two days of, of their lives with us um, and then release them back to the firm. Mm. And 
obviously now things are far more integrated into somebody's um, early days and weeks. It's far more about them getting to know and feel a part of their teams, etc. Um, and that's even with, without factoring in the fact that everybody's remote. Um, mm. And so there's more, more kind of um, reliance on what line managers are doing at different points in that process as well. Um, I have to say, given particularly the the circumstances that, that we're under at the moment, I think everybody is, is kind of okay with that. There, there is a yeah. moment of, okay, this is a big shift, um, but this is how it needs to work. Um, mm. And then off the back of that is the realization that actually this really does get people feeling at home and able to kind of take on the new challenges and get up and running far more quickly. Um, and far more effectively. Um, So it it seems to have landed quite well so far. Massive caveat that, as with many organisations, there hasn't been a colossal amount of um, opportunity to test this out because Mm. recruitment's been really quite quiet um, over over the last few weeks. Um, But it has has been happening in in some pockets of the firm. And like I say, the early narrative is really positive around this, Mm. um, which is really encouraging. And I think what it represents is kind of that proof of concept that actually the very traditional view of what an induction looks like, it can be completely different the way that we experience the firm as new starters. And there are some real tangible benefits off the back of that. Um, And has this required your team to work in a different way? Uh, And how have they adapted? Um, So we've had, we have genuinely kind of, had to give our, our heads a bit of a shake in terms of the way that that we would go about um, kind of creating some of these experiences. Mm. Um, I'm really lucky to have a team of kind of very skilled designers and kind of learning specialists that um, were already giving some real deep consideration to what digital learning in our firm looks like mm. um, and what we want people to experience, etc. Um, and they have all, as soon as the kind of the the lockdown period hit and everything suddenly became remote, everybody's heads just got straight into that place, um, which is fantastic. But it has meant kind of a real a real shift in thinking to more of oh god I, I don't I don't necessarily like going to kind of agile. Mm. Um, let, let's say lowercase a. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but. To, to kind of make the shift from um, designing something that might have been more traditionally oriented and might mm. have kind of needed to be kind of the perfect finished product yeah. um, into maybe more of an iterative way of working has been a bit of a shift. Speed to market being of the essence um, mm. has been a bit of a shift as well, which can make people feel uncomfortable sometimes. Um, you know, to to make that move to... The, the kind of shorter bursts of activity that get you to that end product working alongside an SME rather than for an SME yeah. um, can be a real shift in mindset. And, you know, it, it, it would have been easy to, to feel quite exposed within that. Yeah. But um, what actually it's done, I think it's really strengthened some partnerships um, mm. around the firm, which is fantastic. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely been a, a shift in mindset. I think what I'm getting played back to me from the team is that, they're finding it really liberating. Oh, that's good. Um, I think 
to have you know just the platforms in place and the the the, the systems there to be able to work in that kind of quick to market way mm. has really really helped both in terms of the learning platform but also in terms of you know the collaborative platforms that we've now got um, mm. around the firm like teams for example um it, all of those pieces come together to actually kind of give us options that maybe we didn't have before we're a geographically diverse firm and that had always been kind of a barrier and things have become quite manchester centric in terms of that was where head office is and therefore that's where things happen mm. um and clearly that's all been blown out of the water um by the current circumstances and i think that's actually really done us good mm. uh, and i wonder Jilly, how has your own perspective of l d changed in recent months Ooh, big question. Um, I think what the last few months has really done is crystallise kind of where things were starting to get to um, with L&D anyway, in terms of that more holistic view of what we do within the organisations that we work in or with. Um, so, you know, I've, within the people development strategy, I, I deliberately call out things like well-being, being a critical factor in productivity so you know if we're supporting productivity with this kind of traditional L&D initiative here then actually there's a need to consider other factors that, that come into play within that and to not shy away from them or say that they're caveats but to actually embrace the opportunity to positively influence them um, so that kind of more holistic approach has definitely been um, crystallizing for me I think also the um, the kinds of things that we always talk about in terms of L&D now incorporating more of a marketing mindset and that all-round engagement, what happens with um, kind of the comms experts that we have around us, what happens with the business development experts that we have around us. Um, I think that's coming to the fore more and more and more. And I don't see mm. that changing anytime soon, David, either. No, no, I don't. I think that um, the the um, marketing comparison um it gets confused sometimes in L&D because uh, I think sometimes it is oversimplified to marketing our content. Like so, so creating personas, um, taking a look to see what content might be most applicable and then marketing that content. But I think that the, the, um, the more useful way of looking at it is that um, in marketing, you're seeking to influence the right people to do the things that you would like them to do. And it is fundamentally different because it doesn't involve then just popping your content to in up to the right people. Yeah. You have to understand who they are, understand what they're trying to do, understand what they're not able to do efficiently, engage in dialogue rather than simply delivery run experiments to see whether what you are working with them in collaboration with them can actually help move the needle in a meaningful way. And that's where like marketing departments across organ uh, different organizations are all seeking different ends, whether it is to drive traffic, uh, whether it's to increase leads, whether it is to increase footfall or, uh, or generate uh, leads and sales. They, they're all, it's, it's all about, um, understanding a particular uh, buying persona to influence them 
in order to do the stuff you'd like them to do. And I think it's so much easier in organizations because we don't have to even create personas. You just have to understand your people. The yeah. HR systems are full of dry data that you can color in with conversations. And when you're engaging in conversations with them about what matters most, the solution a lot of the time becomes very, very obvious. It's really easy to make assumptions about what's important to the business at any given moment in time. Mm. Um, and then when you start to get down into, okay, well, what about this particular department? And what about this particular demographic? And what about this particular person? Like you say, it does, it, it, it gives that shade, that nuance to, um, to the understanding of, of kind of how this needs to translate in this firm. It, it stops mm. us making broad brush assumptions. And if there's anything that I would hope would be a lasting legacy of what's happening right now, it's a step away from assumptions. Yeah. Um, you know, on, on, a, on a very immediate level, you've got people coming back from furlough at the moment. Let's not make assumptions that they're all kind of bright and shiny and, and well-rested and, and happy about the circumstance that they're in. In the same way, let's not make the assumption that the folks who've been in the organization for the last six months and have been kind of trying trying to keep the, the pedals turning um, are kind of more in the right mindset for the here and now. It's about being able to just kind of step back from all of the assumptions and from our own experiences and actually just keep asking those questions, keep, yeah. keep that inquisitive approach that, you know, traditionally us L&D folk tend to be pretty good at. Yeah. Um, to keep that level of understanding current because everything's changing yeah. week on week and, at the minute. And, and not to be asking questions about what people want to learn, but only focusing on what it is that people are trying to do um, and, and take the conversation from there. It's such a fundamental um, uh, refocus. Um, now, Jilly, final question. Um, as, as we've been um, discussing here, there is a real change happening in L&D as organisations need to help in the way that, that, that we've described. Uh, sometimes, as you said, to, for the organisation to stay alive and professionals see how they can make more of an impact as a result. Now, what advice would you give to your peers about the journey we all need to make from here? Well, um, I think I think that last point around stepping away from assumptions is really important. I think to constantly test what we think we know um, is going to be a skill that we're all going to need to sharpen um, quite significantly. And again, not just for this circumstance. I know it's a moment in time, um, but I think there are going to be so many profound and lasting ripple effects from everything that's happening at the moment. Mm. Um, and I think I think to do that, not just within the organisations that we're working within, but at, at, a, at a much broader level and to actually embrace what we're constantly encouraging others to do in terms of looking at what are the market forces that are, that are at play right now? Mm. What are the regulators starting to talk about in different industries? Um, what legislative shifts are likely to take place off the back of the way that the world is changing at the moment and to actually kind of embrace the stuff that we might go and rant about on Twitter occasionally, she said, um, <laughs> but actually to kind of bring that more global thinking into some of our day-to-day -day practice to make sure that we are testing ourselves and not just kind of staying in the our, our world as we knew it yeah. slash know it and don't perhaps want to necessarily test too strongly in case it is different. Um, but to actually roll with it in the way that we're expecting the folks that we work with in, in our organisations to. Hmm. 
Wonderful. Um, and Gilly, if people want to follow you or connect on social media, what's the best way they can do so? Um, I believe I'm the only Gilly Julian on LinkedIn, so I'm quite easy to find that way. And mm-hmm. I am um, at Gilly Tats on Twitter. Wonderful. We'll put some uh, some links in the show notes. But uh, Gilly, thank you very much for being a guest on the Learning of De- uh, Development podcast. Thanks very much, David. That was fun. As Albert Einstein said, as well as Tracy Waters from Sky on this very podcast, to do the same things and expect different results is the definition of insanity. Because L&D is now expected to make a demonstrable difference faster and more efficiently than before. So what Gillian and her team are doing is leading the way on how we can all achieve this. If you'd like to get in touch with me, perhaps to suggest topics you'd like to hear discussed, you can tweet me at David in Learning, connect on LinkedIn or Facebook, for which you'll find the links in the show notes. Goodbye for now.